I'm excited to be uh, diving into our second week of our series through John's letters. We're calling it Love and Light because those are two of the main themes that John is cycling through in these letters. And as you've seen, uh, this, this part that we're looking at in 1 John is probably more a sermon than a letter. A sermon that John wrote sending it out to multiple churches to, uh, to help them work through some of the issues that, that were going on at the time. Now, what I like about John's writing, as opposed to like Paul in the New Testament or, or other places in the Bible, John is, he's very poetic. He's very, he's not like A plus B equals C, which we saw in the video. He's, he's very poetic and he'll circle around ideas over and over in his letter. He'll, he'll talk about something, he'll talk about something else, and he'll circle back to the first idea to hit it again from a different vantage point. Now, last week we were talking about his opening, where he's like, this is my experience with Jesus, right? We spent a lot of time talking about pizza, but it was mainly about Jesus, right? Where John shares his firsthand experience with Jesus the Messiah, who was, who was bigger and greater than, than what the people had heard about. And, and John was just overjoyed to be able to share his experience with them. This week, we're going to dive deeper into the next section after that, but we're going to look at two different passages. We're going to look at the, the verses that follow the section from last week, but we're also going to look, from a, look at a section from chapter 3. So if you have the study guide or the reading guide this week, you'll know that week 2 has a section from 1 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 3. And the reason we're doing that is because John cycles through ideas. So he hits on the theme of sin in the, the, the second half of the first chapter, and he hits on it again in chapter 3. And just understanding the thematic tones of John, we're putting those together so we can get a fleshed out picture of what John means when he's talking about sin. That'll help us as we dive into this today. This will help us from preaching the same sermon twice during our series. And, uh, and I think it's an important contrast for us to have, to have these both passages next to one another in our, uh, our preaching today. So if you have a reading guide or a study guide or just have your uh, phone or Bible with you, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. The, the verses numbering in the Bible, by the way, isn't inspired. There, there was one guy who, like, hundreds of years later, he's like, I need to find where this part is in the Bible, so I'm just going to put some numbers in so we can make sense of where everything is. That's why... Like the section for us today, it makes sense for it to end in chapter 2, verse 2, not at the end of chapter 1. He just kind of put his numbers in there, and they help us find where we're looking for. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. We can have conversation about that a different time. John 1, verse 5 and onward. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but, the, but also for the sins of the whole world. We're going to jump now to 1 John chapter 3. And we're just going to read a few verses from that section if you're following in our study guide. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. It's going to be a fun week this week. We don't use the word sin a lot outside of church, right? Like, it, it, it very much has religious connotations to it. Like, the, the minute someone says sin, you're like, all right, they're about to, like, evangelize to me. Or sometimes we use it in almost like a dismissive way. Like, oh, like, you know, it'd be a shame. Like, what, what a sin if those little ducklings got hit when they were crossing the road. You know what I mean? Like, we say it in that kind of, like, colloquial dismissive way. Oh, like, what a sin. But we don't, we don't use the term sin very often outside of church. It makes people feel awkward if we do. Or people assume that you're talking about like just religious stuff, and that's stuff that you keep private so you don't talk to me about it. So like leave the word sin at home or at church, right? And, and it has all this baggage and, and connotations for us, but I want us this morning, as we read these passages about sin, to, to understand John's understanding of what sin is how we should approach it, what, how it affects us, and what our hope is moving forward. So we have three main points. This is like last week. Three points. We're going to keep it simple. Three points about sin. John's going to talk about the reality of sin. He's going to talk about what our posture towards sin should be. And he's going to talk about our hope despite sin. The reality of sin, our posture towards sin, and our hope despite sin. I'll have you dive in with me as we talk about the reality of sin. Now, when John opens up and talks about this, he, he's using this metaphor of darkness and light, right? God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light, we, we walk with Him if we walk in the light. And, and as he is expounding this, he is talking about sin in two ways. If we look at those verses again, in verse 1-8, it says this, If we claim to be without sin, he talks about it one way, and then later on he talks about it if we confess our sins or if we claim we have not sinned. There are two ways where he's talking about sin here. One, he's talking about sin as a condition, and the other, he's talking about sin as actions that we do. Let me break that down for us. Sin is a condition when he's saying, if we claim to be without sin. In here he's talking about not, if we, say we, not uh, if we say we haven't done anything wrong. But he says, if we claim that we're not affected by the reality of sin in the world. 
if we claim to be without sin, if we're not affected by the fact that sin has weaseled its way into the world and affects all of humanity ever since the fruit was eaten by Adam and Eve. See, often we talk about sin just as like the wrong things we do. But the way that the biblical authors talk about sin is yes, that, and we'll get to it. But they talk about sin as, as like this, this power at work in the world and in humanity. They talk about sin as something not just that we commit, but something that, that we're acted upon by, something that affects our decisions and, and why we do what we do, that deep in all of our hearts we are affected by sin at a deep level. Theologians throughout history have talked about this in different ways. They talk about humanity's depravity or fallenness or our sinful nature. And and it's not a cheery thing to talk about, but we need to acknowledge that all of humanity is affected by the reality of sin. Ever since the Adam and Eve event, where they ate the fruit and and chose to, to go their own way rather than obey God, humanity has been in this condition where Sin has been normal for us. Sin is what's natural for us. One of the analogies that I like to use is like the alignment of a car, right? If your alignment's off, then you're, you're, you're veering that way and you always are having to fight against it. And, and it's just natural for your car to veer that way. And, and as humanity affected by sin, our alignment's off. That's the natural way we're going to go. That's why it's so easy for our anger to, to, like, to lash out that way. That's why it's so easy to decide to hide and to lie rather than to be truthful. That's why it's so easy to look out for number one and to do what it, ca- it takes for us to get ahead even at the detriment of others. Sin's the natural way for us. And John says we need to think about sin in this way. That we're all affected by it. We can't say, oh, I'm, I'm a perfectly neutral party and all of my decisions, you know, it's just going to be what I want. No, we're affected by sin. That is going to be our default. He says, if we claim to be without sin, to be unaffected by the reality of sin in the human heart, we deceive ourselves. We're being unwise if we think sin has no effect on me. There's, there's no effect of fallenness that is swaying my behavior and my desires. Sin is a condition that humanity finds itself in that it needs liberation from. And that is part of the gospel. But he also does talk about sin as actions. And, and like I, I mentioned in, in verse 10, he talks about if we say we have not sinned, right? The language there is if we say we've not committed wrong actions, we've not done things that, that violate what God wants for us, then, then we're also like delusional if we think that. And, and what I love about looking at sin this way is it, it helps broaden our perspective of what Jesus has come to do. The gospel of Jesus is about the forgiveness of our sins. We have done wrong things that has affected our relationship with God. And Jesus on the cross bore the punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven by our faith in Him. And Jesus came 
to defeat the powers of evil so that sin does not have to be our master and to be the aligning way of our life. Jesus came also to liberate us from the power of sin that affects humanity. It's a condition and it's actions. And John wants his readers to understand this. Like, don't deny it. We need to be honest about it. See, a lot of scholars believe that, that John was writing to uh, a set of, well, writing to these churches where there had been teachers who had, they'd been around for a while, they were influential, and then they realized they weren't a great fit, and so they split off. He's, he's writing to a church after a church split where there had been these teachers who were teaching things that reflected more the, the Gnostic and, and the, the, some of the Greek philosophy of the culture around them rather than the gospel. And so some of these teachers were saying, listen, I've had a spiritual awakening, which means the only thing that matters about my life is the spiritual things. Like, as long as I'm, I'm praying well and having these, uh, these euphoric religious experiences, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter the, the choices I make in my flesh. I'm just having these religious experiences and that's the important thing. And so you may call the things that I'm doing sin, but it doesn't really count as sin because all that matters is my spiritual connection. John is writing against that. And he's reminding us that, no, what we do matters. Like, our faith is embodied. We are not people whose, like, our faith is just a spiritual thing and doesn't affect our actions or our body or what we choose to do with our life. What we do in our flesh and bone in these bodies affects our spiritual life and our spiritual life affects our physical life. We shouldn't separate the two. We can't ignore that we're affected by sin and that we commit sin. John goes on to talk about the posture we should have towards sin. In, in verses 8 through 10, uh, in the, the same section, he talks about we're deceiving ourselves. If, if we're not saying that I'm affected by sin or that I commit sin. And if we're honest in our heart of hearts, we know that there are things that we do that are wrong. We know how easy it is for us to go our way instead of God's way. Like how naturally we're bent that way. And, and so we might have moments where like we are trying to justify the actions that we've done. Like, like when we're, we're in an argument with someone and our, it's so easy for us to brush over the wrong that we did and just focus on the wrong that they did and say, I'm the one who's right because, you know, my wrong isn't as bad as your wrong. But when we're honest with ourselves, when we actually let the Spirit speak to us and we're listening, we, we know our wrongdoing. We know the sin that's there. And to try to brush it over and justify it and, and say, oh, I have good reason to do it. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, like, that doesn't help. That's, 
we can try to downplay and ignore our wrongdoing. We can pretend like we're not affected by sin or we have it all together. And it's easy to show up at church and, and feel like or pretend like I'm the perfect Christian. I've got it all together and my week was, was great. And everyone sees me as you know, well-dressed and clean-cut and I've got my life together. I'm a church-going Christian. But if we're not honest enough to say that we have sin affecting us and we have committed sin, John's saying there's a problem. And I think it's actually a little bit of like anti-gospel that we're living out if we're denying our sinfulness and the sin that we do. If we're not willing to be honest, we're kind of living in this anti-gospel mentality of I've got it figured out, my sin's not really sin, I don't need a savior. And the posture that we need is one of honesty. To actually be open and honest with ourselves and often with others to be able to say, you know what, I'm broken. And, and I need healing and liberation. And I, I have sinned. And I need forgiveness. That is a relying on the gospel rather than brushing off the gospel to put this veneer of religiosity on. The posture towards sin that John tells us to have is one of honesty. Not trying to cover it up. Not denial. Honesty about sin is the first step. The second thing that he, he tells us about our posture towards sin is that our posture towards sin needs to be one that's active and not passive. Active and not passive. In the chapter 3 section that we looked at, these are like the hard parts to hear. Where he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Or no one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. So he talks about continuing to, like, this dissonance between continuing to live in sin and being a follower of Jesus. And if we're honest, we're reading this and we're like, this seems like a big contradiction, John. Where in chapter 1, you're like, admit you've got sin or you're not in the light. And in chapter 3, he's like, if you're sinning, you're not in the light. And we're trying to make sense of all this. Like, what is it? And in chapter 3, the language that he uses here is important. And, and something that I appreciate, we're using the New International Version translation, which highlights this. If, if you're reading from King James or NRSV or, or some other translations, it'll say, uh, no one who lives in him sins. Or no one who sins is living in him. But, but our translation does a good job of highlighting the grammar in the Greek to say, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. What that means isn't like, oh, I get converted one week and I'm perfectly sinless. Never going to sin again. What it's saying is, if I am seeking to follow Jesus, I am going to take a posture actively against developing and celebrating habits that I know are sinful. Rather than just saying, it's just who I am. 
It's just what I do. And I'll just let that habit flourish and become more ingrained and more of a normal part of my life. He's saying if we are taking a posture that is passive towards our sin rather than an active one, which by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit we are seeking to overcome the sin that we battle with, if our posture is passive to say, it's just who I am, this is what I do, it doesn't really matter. He's saying we might need to circle back and ask how well we know Jesus. John Owen, who was a, a Christian writer in the 1600s, he, he wrote this simple, easy line that said, kill your sin or it will be killing you. And I think this is an important posture for us to remember. That we need to have an active stance towards our sin. Jesus using even stronger language than John Owen, said, if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off, because it's better to live with one hand than to walk into hell with both. And, oof, like that hits. And no, Jesus isn't talking about bodily mutilation, but what he's telling us is if we observe patterns in our life of sin or things that we're doing that are just constantly leading us in that direction, then we need to take drastic action towards it. To take drastic action that I'm going to completely change how I use my technological devices so that pornography isn't the go-to. That I'm going to change how I go about my day so that I'm not constantly angry and anxious at people. That I'm going to take the necessary steps to fight my sin, not on my own, but with the power of the Spirit and the grace of God. Please don't hear what I'm saying here as you just need to do better. Because that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the Spirit of God that dwells in you as a follower of Jesus is empowering you to step into the victory that Christ bought for you on the cross. And you're not going to be able to do that alone. That's going to take the empowering of the Spirit. It's going to take the lifelong seeking after Jesus. And it's also going to take community. For us to just hide our sin and try to overcome it on our own is going to be a deeper, longer struggle than if we have those around us who are walking out that with us. That's one of the important reasons for community. And maybe small groups is a place where that starts to get unpacked. But like I, I, think, of, I think of the number of people who have been helped with their alcoholism by Alcoholics Anonymous. Because they're with a group of people who are willing to say, I've got a problem, and, and I need to walk through this with some people. There's a fantastic uh, uh, ministry that we run throughout the year out of our Cornwall site called Celebrate Recovery. And it's starting up in October, I think, Matt, where... Similar to A, it is people coming together to be able to say, listen, I've got some issues. 
And I need to be around people who are going to be honest about it, and let's work through that together. In some ways, I love Celebrate Recovery. In some ways, I'm like, I wish just church in general was more like that. That we could be honest about our our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups and the, the issues of sin in our life. To be able to walk through it together and to take that active posture. We need the power of the Spirit and we need community to do this together. Lastly, John reminds us of our hope despite sin. One of my favorite passages in this book is the beginning of John chapter 2. We should have this up here on the screen where John, he gives his, his reason for writing. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin. But, that but is important for all of us. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is our hope because we will sin. And there's something very different to say, this is what I do than to say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I've stumbled. And thank you for the cross that brings forgiveness and cleansing and renewal to my life. It's a different posture. It's a different way where we place our hope that Jesus is our advocate and atoning sacrifice. If you want to get nerdy, and maybe this should have been left for small groups, but I'm already down this rabbit trail. The tense of the verbs there is present, right? It's not Jesus was our advocate or was our atoning sacrifice 2,000 years ago, but it's like this continuing active role of Jesus is before the Father advocating for Tyler's sin because I'm covered by his blood that he shed on the cross. He's doing that now, this week, for my sin that I did yesterday and this morning when I got up. Jesus is that for me. That is where my hope is. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice that I need, and he is the sacrifice, the sacrifice and the advocate that I need. And John also reminds us of our future hope. He talks about that when Christ appears, we will be like him. Listen, we are going to battle through the reality of the fact that we have sin as a condition in our lives and wrestling through the sin that we commit. Like We'll be working that out with the Holy Spirit and in community throughout our lifetime. But John wants to remind us that there's hope. That Jesus, the one who is pure, when he returns, if our hope is in him, we will be like he is. That one day we will be purified from our sin. Not just the things that we've committed, but the fact that sin has sway over us. We'll be, we'll be cleansed. We will be as pure as Christ when he returns. And so often, like, when we talk about Christ's return in the church, we focus on all these, like, weird end time stuff and whatever. Our hope is that we will be cleansed when he returns. We will be like him. 
and sin will have no more sway. So the question for us this morning in reading John's both comforting and challenging words, I think is to ask us what direction we're heading in. I talked a couple weeks in a bit of a rabbit trail about the idea of, of being a centered set as a church. That Jesus is at the center and our desire is to be constantly moving in the direction towards him. The question for us, are we, are we moving in the direction towards Jesus? Or are we allowing the, the condition and the reality of sin in our life to be something that, that we're choosing to walk in the other direction? What direction are we walking? Towards Jesus or away from him? And the word repentance carries so much baggage and weight that you've heard out of the, the mouth of brash preachers and things like that. But really what the word means is to turn around. That I'm walking one way and I'm going to turn around and go the other way. And maybe you're in a place this morning that as you're reading John's words, you're feeling like, you know what, if I'm really honest with myself, the direction that I'm walking is not the direction towards Jesus. And maybe the Spirit's invitation for you this morning is to repent. This doesn't have to be this weird, like, guilt-ridden thing, but to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to go in the other direction. I want to walk towards you and not away from you. Maybe you're in a place where all of this is new to you. And you're still sorting through this whole Jesus thing. And you want to know what it means for him to be the, the atonement and advocate for your sin. And, and if you're sorting through that, I'd love to talk with you about it. And, and how, what that means for you and how you can be a part of what Jesus is doing. But will we turn? Will we walk towards Jesus? We say, all right, today I'm going to choose to walk away from my sin and walk towards Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. And tomorrow when I wake up and I slept through my alarm and my kids are next to my bed at 7.01 because they wake up like clockwork, and they're there and they're yelling about toast. And the natural inclination of my heart is to go into the ditch, right? A great way to start the morning. And I ask myself, okay, am I going to walk towards Jesus? And if my natural way is a way to say, Jesus, I repent. Help me to turn around and walk towards you in how I treat my sons and how I treat my wife and how I man you, you already know where it is in your life may we walk towards Jesus who is the one who will cleanse us from our sin you pray with me Jesus you are our hope 
And you are a greater hope than we could have imagined. And we're in more need of that hope than we, we realize. So God, my prayer today is that by your spirit, you would be pointing out those things in our hearts and inviting us into the, the loving, gracious embrace of repentance. To turn from our sin and walk towards Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us and you're committed to this lifelong work of, of helping us to straighten out that alignment. Helping us to, to say no. Helping us to turn. Helping us to love the things that you love and to hate the things that you hate. Continue to walk with us, Holy Spirit, as we go out of this building today, as we go into our workplaces or with family, especially with family. that we might find freedom and forgiveness for our sin in Jesus. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.